So this morning we have three different texts, so get ready to flip around in your Bible. Um, the first one is 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. Um, then we have Romans 12, 3 through 5, and 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 and 27. So 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16 says... I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory." Romans 12, 3 through 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, and 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Thank you, Amy. So we have been spending the last couple of months working through the book of Titus. Titus was written by the Apostle Paul to his co-worker Titus um, to do the work of establishing churches in all of these cities that they had visited and shared the gospel, saw people come to Christ, and Paul left and left Titus with this work of founding and establishing churches. So we've spent the last few weeks looking at uh, the, the big structural concepts of, of what goes into um, a local church and being a local church. And so um, we reviewed a little bit of it last week, and we wanted to spend some time because Titus is so foundational in, in terms of what we're doing, what we should be doing as churches, and we've kind of come through a season of, of combining our two sites into one, um, and some, all the changes associated with that, that we wanted to take just some time uh, to, to, to think through uh, our, our mission and come to greater unity and understanding of it, which is why we selected Titus. And then we wanted to spend a few weeks looking over um, our, our membership covenant. Now, this is something that we've kind of had fits and starts with over the years, but we've never actually kind of implemented it. And so we want to take the time, now that we've kind of come to a, a, a greater place of unity and maturity as a church, to, to, to implement this, this membership covenant. So I'm going to spend today kind of just highlighting the covenant, and then Lawrence is going to take um, a couple weeks to address what are very realistic and expected uh, challenges uh, in our day and age to uh, committing and covenanting to a local church. So thanks again, Amy, for reading all those passages. I'm just going to 
uh, cover some of the big ideas that are in those passages. But first, I want to just tell you a couple stories. I mean, Peter. I mean, I could probably just read the covenant and and you know ask for questions because what what Peter's really described in her story is again, like Lawrence said, an experience that many of us have shared, and really expresses the idea of of, of the church being a family and of where we find strength and security and peace and healing in the context of that family, not because of the family itself, but because of the Spirit's indwelling of us and His, his using of us to, to minister the gospel uh, through love to others. And so, But I just want to tell you two stories to add to Peter's. Um, the first one was in, our, was in our house church context. And... Um, you know, it was one of those times, and I know I think every house church has had one of these moments where you know some significant needs came up, and needs that were the consequence of some really terrible circumstances. There were some uh, support needs from the standpoint of childcare. Uh, there were some uh, financial needs, and so we all just right there as a house church said, "Hey, how are we going to come and support and and meet the needs of this?" of this family member who's expressed these, these needs. And so right there, we've kind of figured out what we were going to do. And this other member of the house church was sitting there, and she just, she just was crying. She said, you know, I've grown up feeling alone. Some of her family circumstances, I've grown up feeling alone, and I've always wondered what would happen if I lost my job, if I got into a hard place. And she says, now I know. I, I have a family. The other story was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we, um, we acquired the services of a, of a consultant who does nonprofit work, and I've talked a little bit about that with Twin Cities Ministries. And he was working with us in the second day, and uh, uh, Seth Evans, who uh, is our, is our, uh, who's co-founded Twin Cities Ministries and really is the vision behind it, and his wife Gina were there. Uh, and then Tim and I, and, and then the consultant, Rich, um, who's been a friend of mine for 20 years, and he just, was, he just wanted to hear the stories. And so um, Gina was the first one that told her story. And she told her story of you know, her life in, in crime and all of her felony convictions. I think she's got 14 felony convictions. And, and she was showing all of the different mug shots that she had uh, to us. And she, just, and she told the story of how, how she had come to understand the gospel and, and was involved in, in uh, some ministries, some nonprofit parachurch organizations. Uh, but then she said, you know, but, but our lives were still falling apart and our marriage was having significant trouble and then she said this she says um, we needed the church we needed the family the church saved our lives and she wasn't saying it from the context of this group of people she was saying god through jesus christ and the holy spirit used these people in the way that we needed to save to save our marriage and, um, you know, we all have to admit, we need a family, okay? Uh, none of us are perfect. The imagery that may exist and has existed in all stripes of evangelical, Protestant, 
conservative, liberal Christianity. It, it, it exists in all of those spheres. This impression that we, we are trying to make ourselves look like perfect people because, because really of the, of the tendency. Okay, We see this in, in throughout all of Scripture. There is a tendency that we have to all be Pharisees. All right. Jesus was dealing with Pharisees his entire ministry. All of us are prone to Pharisaism. To put an image out there okay, uh, that covers the ugliness that's inside. And, and we need people that we know will stick with us, commit to us, love us, hear where we are struggling and suffering, tell us where we are sinning, um, but will remain committed to us over the long haul and to be a force of change in our lives. The, the, the agents of transformation that you see in Scripture are the gospel or the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the church. Okay? Gospel, spirit, church. Those are the three agents of transformation that God has put in place to, be, to, to work in our lives. And I just, you know, if we, if we look at these passages that... that um, that Amy read, uh, we, see, we see language being used. This, this first passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I write these things to you so that you would know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, okay, household, family, which is the church of the living God, the gathered people. That's what church means, a gathered group of people, all right? Uh, it doesn't mean this, this universal experience the church is always God's gathered group of people. It's, the, it's his family. Right? And we are the pillar and support of the truth. The truth is the gospel, which the later verses, verse 16, talks about this, this it, it gives us this confession of what the gospel is. That's the truth. Great is the mystery of godliness, but godliness is expressed. And the truth is seen in the people that the gospel is changing, that Jesus Christ is changing through through his word and through his Holy Spirit. But we are a family. We are a family. It's not a metaphor. It's real. We are children of God. We are brothers and sisters with each other. We are co-heirs with Christ. Those are all familial. Our understanding of family, okay, is an image of what that reality is. Just like the image of marriage is an image of Christ and the church. The greater reality is Christ and the church, not human marriage. The greater reality is the family of God, not our families. Our families are to be a picture and image of what the Father, Son, and Spirit have experienced for eternity. The second group of passages, Romans and 1 Corinthians, we are members one of another. We belong together. And without each other functioning and living together, the whole body suffers. Every single one of you play a role in this body. You belong to it. We need you. We all have different roles, just like Paul explains in those passages. But the whole body needs every single role. You know, I, I need my pinky toe. I don't think of it very much. I don't look at it very much. But I need it. You, you cut it off, I would feel the effects of that. All right? 
regardless how insignificant you may think you are in this church, you belong. And you may think that you have great significance. Like if I cut my arm or my hand off, wow, I'm going to really notice that. I use it all the time. All right? But Paul says you need to think about where you're at. Do not think too highly. Do not think too lowly. You are all important parts of the body. Recognize where you're at. Fill that role. Fill that role. Fill that role with humility and with gentleness. And then we didn't read a couple passages, but we're all familiar with them. Uh, The passage out of Ephesians in regard to what is the purpose of the church. He goes in and explains that in in, in chapter, chapter two, we have been saved for good works that Christ has prepared beforehand. And we've seen how Titus has strongly emphasized the importance of us responding to the good works of God through Christ toward us. And in the response and the power that Jesus gives us, we are now able to engage in good works. We've been created for these things. And then he tells us how how he didn't just save us for our individual experience of of knowing Christ and having life, but we've been been brought into a, a, a unified body. And he uses the metaphor of the temple. And even that's not a metaphor. Christ is dwelling in us. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring us together to be a unified people because there is one God, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. We are all one because the Spirit and God are one. They are not disunified. They are not divisive. They are one. And so the Spirit indwells those who have believed in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit is at work bringing us increasingly together into a place of unity, into a place where God dwells. And he says later in the, in the text, chapter 3, that Paul is teaching. He says, I have two purposes, to preach the gospel and so those people can, can come into the family of God. My second purpose is, is to explain and to teach these churches on how to live so that they are demonstrating and displaying and showing God's love and wisdom and power and glory. First to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, which is mind-blowing. Your first and foremost witness is to beings that you can't even see And this is an important reality to get because you need to understand that, yes, it matters how the people around you see you, but there are beings that see you always, nonstop, in the dark, when you're all alone. That is the sphere of witnesses that God is most concerned about. Because those rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are the same rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that Paul talks about in Colossians 2 that are trying to bring the people of God under continuous doubt and under continuous accusation so that we don't grab hold of the gospel and we continue to doubt God's goodness and we never get past our sin and our guilt and our shame. And what God is wanting to show to those rulers and authorities in the heavenly places who are led by Satan, the devil, okay, the ancient serpent, who has strived for millennia to undermine and to dishonor God. God is first saying, hey, listen, you rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, you demonic, evil, dark forces, I'm going to show you the power of my son through these people. 
And they are going to learn the gospel. And they are going to come together in community. And they are going to put off sin. And they are going to display beauty and truth like you have never seen before. That's what the church is doing. Our witness to the world then is a consequence of that witness that we first give to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that's the, that's the language of, 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 of the church, of it being a family, of being a place of belonging, of being a place where we all have a role, and the language of our purpose. There's a great quote that Robert Banks has in his book called Paul's Idea of Community. He says, as we have seen, for Paul... The gospel bound believers to one another as well as to God. Acceptance by Christ necessitated acceptance of those whom he had already welcomed. If you believe the gospel, you need to understand that it's not just your salvation that's going on. You are being put into a people. Reconciliation with God entailed reconciliation with others who exhibited the character of gospel preaching. If you've been reconciled to the Father, you've been reconciled to others who have called upon the name of the Father. Union in the Spirit involved union with each other, for the Spirit was primarily, primarily a shared, not individual experience. If you look in the language of the Scriptures, the Spirit's ultimate purpose is to bring those who have come to know Christ, which is the work that he's doing, into unity as a people. That's what he's doing. All the instructions in the letters are for that ultimate purpose, that we would be unified. That's what Jesus ultimately prayed for before he left. The gospel is not a purely personal matter. It has a social dimension. It is a communal affair. To embrace the gospel, then, is to enter into community. The original purpose of baptism was to highlight the significance of this corporate family communal experience. But baptism has been significantly watered down in our understandings uh, because of just the cultural place it has in in America. Uh, So baptism is still important. We are still commended by Christ to, uh, to, to baptize those who have come into, a faith, into the faith. Um, but we feel, because of these cultural circumstances, that, that a, another form is, is needed. Okay? When you got baptized, it was a recognition by the whole community that you ha- are leaving one worldview and entering into a community with a, another people that shared that worldview. That's why baptism in, in, in more traditional cultures... Uh, is such an explosive thing because it meant that you were rejecting probably your family and your old community and going into a new one. And so people were often disowned and cast off because of the significance of baptism. So we are putting together, we have put together a, a membership covenant. So in addition to baptism, it's a, it's, a, it's a covenant that we are all as the church, as the people of God, committing ourselves to. Okay, and so I'm gonna. I'm just gonna read through the points of the covenant. It's a, it's one side of a single page. Okay, uh, we'll have printed copies at the next two weeks. I'm gonna put it online uh, by tomorrow on the city. It'll all be there. So it'll be a, a, it's a. It's a. The document is I think eight pages. It's just kind of explaining to you some things. But the actual covenant itself is is one page. Uh, and we're going to ask you to sign it as a household. Okay, we're not going to have a big ceremony or any anything like that. You can. We'll, 
you can hand it into the giving box. You can hand it to your house church leader. But, it, but, but it's something that we're going to hold on to as, as a record. I'm going to explain a little bit more of that. Um, well, we'll explain a little bit more of that as over the next two weeks and some of the questions that we address. But really the purpose of it is, is, is really to enable you, us, to say, yeah, I affirm these things. And I, I want to commit to this, to this family. And, and, and to know that there are others committing to the same thing. So let me just read it real quick, okay? And then uh, we'll have some time for some questions. There are two statements of what we believe. This is the first one. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, creator and authority of all things and head of the church, which is his body, and the means through which he is accomplishing his purposes. He has secured an eternal peace with the Father for all things through his death and resurrection and calls all people to put their trust in him to enter into that eternal peace. The second statement of belief, as believers in Jesus Christ, we believe that we have been freed from the power of sin in the flesh, the world, and the devil, and have been made alive as children of God adopted into his family, the church, and sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is uniting the church to be a dwelling place of God and who empowers us to serve for the building up of the body of Christ. So those are the two statements of belief. You can, you can obviously you can tell there's a lot of Colossians and Ephesians and Titus language in there. So two statements of belief, then a number of statements about what we will do because of what we believe. As children of God and members of each other, called to build up the body of Christ, we will walk worthy of our calling by obeying Christ, by being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, which identifies us as members of the family of God. Affirming the authority of the Word of God as the revelation of Jesus Christ and striving to renew our minds in this word while avoiding deceptive teachings and traditions that undermine Jesus Christ, his word, and his purposes. Keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with all humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. Following and supporting those whom the Spirit has gifted and called to equip, lead, and shepherd Twin Cities Church to maturity in the truth as taught in the Scriptures. Strengthening, supporting, and bearing the burdens of each other as family, helping everyone grow mature in Christ so that all would fulfill their callings. Speaking to each other in ways that build up and strengthen each other and the church while avoiding gossip and slander. Seeking reconciliation and conflict by initiating forgiveness, humility, and patience while setting aside anger, wrath, and bitterness. Putting to death sins, lying, stealing, impurity, lust, sexual immorality, anger, hatred, bitterness, slander, drunkenness, coarse language, discontent, grumbling, complaining, selfishness, arrogance, etc. It's a long list, but it's not totally comprehensive. By lovingly speaking the truth to one another 
confessing our sins to one another and living in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joining together regularly for the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, the reading, preaching, and teaching of the scriptures, worship and prayer to experience the fullness of the Spirit. Submitting to efforts of the church to shepherd towards repentance and reconciliation, those who continue in sin and divide the church, which threatens the unity, strength, and witness of the church. Serving our family and community roles as God has ordered and gifted, which makes the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ attractive and empowers the church in ministry. Working hard at our work as unto the Lord Jesus in order to meet our needs, the needs of the church, and the pressing needs of the world around us. Supporting the work of evangelism and the establishing of churches. And persevering in faithfulness as we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal kingdom of God. So that's it. That's it. There's not a whole lot in there that you should actually I don't there's nothing in there that shouldn't ring true as something taught by the scriptures we're not asking you to affirm any particular forms like there's not even a mention of the word house church in there okay that's a form that we've selected that we think is wise at our time to accomplish these things we're not asking you to uh, affirm any particular form or any particular tradition, we're, we're trying to just say, hey, you guys, here's what the teacher, here's what the scriptures are, are che- teaching us to believe and, and, and to do. And uh, we want to we wanna covenant together and commit together on these things. So again, we're going to have printed copies over the next couple weeks. PDF will go online uh, tomorrow. We want to encourage you to at least take one of the next few weeks in your house churches to discuss this. And then on the 17th of December, we're going to have a, uh, um, uh, our annual vision presentation. Um, and also, uh, and then after the 10th, which is our annual celebration and child dedication and, and all of those things. So on the 17th, we're going we're gonna to kind of, that'll be our kind of uh, time to uh, make the commitment. Okay, now, you can do this any time throughout the year, and we'll get into all the questions of logistics, I'm sure, over the next few weeks. But anyway, that's the covenant. Uh, let me pray, and we've got plenty of time for some, some Q&A and some comments. Lord God, thank you for clearly teaching us, as your people, the gospel. Thanking, thank you, God, for putting the desire in us. The scriptures teach that we have a consciousness of you. And that we're longing for you. We're longing for peace. And we're longing for hope. And we're longing for love. And and we thank you, God, that you've given it to us through Christ. Through your word. Through your care for us. Uh, God, thank you for your, your vision for the church family. And thank you for creating the church family. And thank you, God, for, for birthing us as a church as, as one of many expressions over the entire world that you are accomplishing your purpose in. Uh, God, help us to think right about ourselves, about ourselves as individuals, about ourselves as families, about ourselves as a local church uh, connected to other networks of churches and connected by the Spirit to, to your, your family uh, throughout the ages, the heavenly reality of your people. So that we, God, would be able to fulfill what you've called us to. We don't want to think too little of ourselves. 
we don't want to think too great of ourselves. We want to think right so that we can do what you've called us to do at this place and at this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.